Man, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really can't believe it's been six years. And when I look around at all the services, I, I know um, I get to be up here and speak. But this was a whole lot of sacrifice by a lot of people, other time, talents, and treasures. Not to make our, our church great, but to, to glorify the one who is. And what I want to share with you tonight is what it looks like to really call Jesus Christ the king of your life. And specifically, that he's not just the, the king in the way that maybe a bad king would be, but that he's also your father, that you are a child of the king. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Woo! Yeah, that's right. Come on now. Thank you, Evan. I'm glad you sat there. Uh, open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. As you're powering your Bibles on and turning to Galatians chapter 4, put your hands together. Welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet. Glad that you're here and hope you connect with God right where you're at. If you're new to the Bible, the New Testament talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then we have letters from early leaders in the church talking about what God was still doing and how the church got started. In particular, there's this one guy named Saul who will become Paul. He had been overseeing the killing of Christians simply for their faith. He has one authentic encounter with the risen Jesus and so dramatically changes his life. He goes on to write a lot of the New Testament, including the letter that we're going to read here in Galatians chapter 4. In fact, we tell people every week, if God could redeem Saul and he could become Paul and go on and change the course of human history, what could he do with you? Because I know you haven't been overseeing the killing of Christians, most likely. We believe that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. And as we get into these seven verses in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is writing to this area. It's not a city. Galatia isn't a city. It's a, an area with lots of churches. And he's writing to them describing the relationship that they have with their heavenly father. That it's not just that, hey, you get to go to heaven when you die. That you could actually know him and you get to call him dad. Let's read these verses together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says this. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. It's not talking about literal slavery here. It's talking about that you, before Christ came, every human being lived enslaved to the things of this world. And that the enemy would love to distract you and I from the things that really matter in this life that we've been given. If he goes on in verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, or women daughtership. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Will you pray with me? God, we read these verses that we are an heir to the king, that we're literally princes and princesses here, that you actually have entrusted a lot in us. But most of us, God, we come with some brokenness in our lives. I know if it's just like the last service, there are people here or watching live online that may not have a relationship with you. Every week we have many people who are atheists or agnostic joining with us, God. God, some of us who have claimed faith in you, Jesus, for many years, but we feel very distant from you right now. God, I pray that the King of Kings would show up 
and speak to our minds and our souls. We acknowledge your presence in the room with us right now. And we give you the night. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen, amen, amen. I got a little confession. Some of you guys know this about me, but at seventh grade, like 12 or 13 years old, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. How many have ever heard of OCD before? Yeah. Now, I didn't, I didn't, you know, if you ever watched that old TV show, Monk, I wasn't a clean person. That's not what I had. It was a whole nother thing. And it got really weird in my life. And it was a really hard time for those who are students here. You're in junior high, man. That was the hardest season of life for me. Middle school was tough. And over time, like it didn't really stick around. I saw a lot of freedom in that area of my life. And OCD is still something that shows up in small ways in my life today. My wife will tell you, I got this one little thing that anytime, I'm kind of being vulnerable here, but anytime I walk into a room and there's hand sanitizer in the room, anybody like this out there? Like I have to, I have to go over there and give like three pumps, baby. And then I like bathe myself in it in a little while. Got to get all those germs, and you think I'm crazy, but I, was, I don't know if it's a pastor thing. I was talking to Justin Davis. This is true. You can ask him about it. He's a pastor of Hope City Church. We got to help start. He, he, he told me that he has the same thing, except in the wintertime, he started thinking, what if I'm actually breathing in the germs, and it's not just on my hands? So, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he started uh, actually taking the hand sanitizer and uh, wiping his nose like this. <laughs> and breathing it in. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And then I, I promise you, this is totally true. Like a week later, I totally did it, man. <laughs> I like took a snippet just like that. In fact, guys were making fun of me so much. A couple years ago, they filled up an entire like water cooler of hand sanitizer, called it Josh Wash, and gave it to me. It's still, it's still in the, the staff office right over here. In fact, some people think it's like a water fountain. They go fill their cup up, and then they take a sip. It's gross. But I know what it's like to feel compelled, like you have to do something. Like you got to do it. Like there's no way to stop. And, And what this passage says in those first three verses is that you essentially are enslaved to the things in this world. Now, it's not talking about like literal slavery. Obviously, that's a really horrible thing. It's, it's also talking here that metaphorically, the, the elemental spiritual forces that the enemy desires to enslave you to the things of this world, to the busyness, to your ambition and career, to a whole lot of other things. And so I just want to start by asking you this question. Maybe it sounds weird to you, but if, if you're a slave, you're owned by something, what, what owns you? What owns you? Now, I'm going to date myself, man. Has anybody ever heard of the movie from the 1980s starring Sylvester Stallone called Over the Top? Anybody? <laughs> Thank you. Like, I thought it was crazy last service. Uh, Becky, you haven't heard of this? It's a great movie. You should go rent it. It's probably really filthy. I haven't seen it in like 20 years. But it's this great movie where he is trying to win at an arm wrestling competition. Like, you can't make this up. And this guy that he has to face, he's last year's champion, and every time he gets to start the match, he looks at the guy in the eyes, and he says, I own you, (laughs) right? And then Sylvester ends up beating him in the movie. It's awesome. You should probably never watch it. Yeah, thank you. I I share that with you because, like, sometimes I I think we aren't even aware of the things that are owning us in our lives. Like, On the way here, you probably worried and had arguments in the car about certain things that you know don't really matter, but it just drives you nuts. 
Some of us, uh, it may not be OCD that you have trouble with, but maybe it's anxiety or worry or fear, and it really dictates your choices in your life. I've worked with young adults a long time, like many of you. Like finding that certain someone, that dating life, it, it owns every aspect of your life. You think about it all day, and you, you're constantly getting online, checking your accounts to try and figure out if somebody liked you back. Like maybe that's what owns you. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're enslaved to your kid's sports schedule, anyone out there? Maybe some of you, it's your addictive habits that you've developed, and you just can't seem to shake it or get away from it. You don't know who to turn to. You don't know how to be honest about it. Maybe it's your success or your job. Dude, every morning, that, that alarm clock wakes you up, and you think, I got to go in, and I got to grind it, Right? You got to risk it to get the biscuit, baby. You're going to get out there. You're going to grind it. You're going to work it. And you just know that you dread it every single day. And you're a slave to your job. You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever felt like that? I find that most of us, we go through a majority of our lives not realizing that certain things are dictating our choices in life. What is it that's dictating your choices? That's owning you, that literally keeps you from God's best. If, If we believe that God created you, loves you, redeemed you, right where you're at. To the students in the room, if if we really believe that, it's life-altering. And what I want to show you in the few verses that we just read is what it's like to get to call God your father and king. That you're no longer a slave to the elemental spiritual forces that we read in verse 3. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. It says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate, that you are enslaved to the things in this world. Verse 2, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Verse 3, in other words, until Jesus came, we all were enslaved to the things of this world. Verse 3, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. You were in a spiritual battle, and the enemy would love to allow little things in your life to dictate your choices rather than God because you've given up hope that your life could look differently. That's what I want to address. I I believe that you and I, no matter what you said last night and the things that you ingested into your body and the poor choices that you made and how you've rebelled against God and how you've been running from, that if you were created by him, if you turned to him, you get to call yourself a child of the king, a child of the king. So if you're taking notes... That's the big idea today. I want to just quickly walk you through three things that we find in Scripture beginning in Galatians chapter 4. And the first thing is this, that you are God's child. You are God's child. See, did you catch verses 4 and 5 there? Like, this is really where the meat begins. It says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership, that you get to call the God that created the universe, knitted you together in your mother's womb. You get to call him your father. Now, the problem is, some of us, we didn't have a great dad growing up. Some of us, we didn't have a relationship with our father. Some of us today, we had a good dad, but he's passed on. I don't know where you're at, or maybe you have a great father who is alive, but I don't know what images come to your head when you think of your heavenly father but he is better than any image that you could ever think of. In fact, man, when I think about how much I love my kids, I would do anything for them. 
I would. That's what a dad feels like, and that's what your heavenly father feels like for you, whatever you're facing. Uh, there's a TV show that season two's kicking off on Tuesday night called This Is Us. Has anybody watched that show? Dude, you're going to like cry every episode, aren't you? I'll tell you, on the far left, that dad, man, he's not perfect. He makes mistakes, certainly, but uh, he, Jack Pearson in that show, he is somebody that really loves his kids. He's got this little saying about the three kids that they have. It was on the day they were born, first came me, and dad said, gee, and then came me, and mom said, we, and then came me, and that said, that's me. Big three, big three. Anybody seen it? I, I, I was thinking about that. And like, I don't know why Lisa and I started this, and I know it's totally lame in our family, but we got three kids, and we'll get together, and we'll get all the hands in, and we'll be like, uh, go family on three. Ready? One, two, three. Go family. You know, and I think like I'm creating a little memory for my kids because I want them to know how much I love them. Our Heavenly Father loves each of us as a child of him way more than I love my kids or any of us in this room love our kids. He does. And it doesn't matter how many times like we misbehaved, he still loves us right where we're at. My two-year-old, his name's Jet, and the last couple of days, I don't know what happened, man. I didn't mean to share this, but I shared it last service, so I'm gonna share it at this service. Just, that's when you know you make poor choices when you share something on a whim. But my, my two-year-old, his name is Jet, and uh, he's still got the diapers. And the last two days straight, when he's gotten up from his nap, he had a dirty diaper. And then he took that diaper off. And then he took what was in the diaper. We all tracking you? Parents know where he's going. And he just starts chucking it around the room. <laughs> And he's wiping it on things. And then I don't know what it is. He took his lamp off the top of his dresser. How does a two-year-old do this? Off the top of the dresser, unscrewed the light bulb, and then took the stuff from the diaper and put it inside the lamp. Like, how do you think of that? Now, when I came in there, I wasn't like, oh, that's okay, Jet. We all make mistakes. No, I was like, I lost my stinking gourd, man. I was like... What are you doing? Get back in. Get in the bathtub. Get outside. This is disgusting. Now, I may have been harsh on him, but you know what else I didn't do? I didn't go, I can't believe you did that. You're no longer my son. Get out of here. (laughs) Take care of yourself. Clean your own diaper from now on, right? Because I love him with all of my heart. I'm going to correct and discipline him. That's what a good father does. It has both grace and truth. And that's what our heavenly father desires to do in our lives. He's not going to disown you. You're his kid. He cares more about you than anybody in this life. So if you feel alone, like you just left, you're like, man, I made so many poor choices. Like, I mean, there's no way that God could still be okay with me. I guarantee that he may not be okay with your actions, but he's okay with you. And he will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. And he will never give up. You're Jonah, run away from what God's calling you to in your life. He'll still pursue you. In fact, scriptures teach us he'll pursue you until the last person receives faith in Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves us. And if we rebel against him and put our hand up to him our whole life and won't turn to our our good heavenly father, then in the end, he'll give us what we want, an eternal separation from him. The place the scripture refers to is hell. It's not a good place. It's not described well in scripture. But his desire is that every single person would come to know him 
because he loves you and he cares so much about you. First John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He lavishes his love on us. He wants to call us his child. Number one, you are God's child, but number two, God's love for his kids is like real intense. It's intense. It's intimate. It's not just like, I love you from a distance. Like he loves you right where you are. You see verses six and seven in Galatians four, I'm gonna look at it again. It said, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba is uh, Aramaic there actually. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek. But it's Aramaic, and it's a specific word. It, it, it denotes that this isn't just like a, a distant father, or even that you just call him dad. It's literally the closest translation would be daddy. Like you think of the intimate, compassionate love like a young child and their father have for one another, where I walk in the door and that two-year-old may dirty his diaper, but he comes running to me every time, daddy, daddy. That's the type of relationship, and I believe that our Heavenly Father, your Abba, he's sitting there with open arms, no matter what junk is going on in our lives, no matter the poor choices you made or the suffering you're going through or the things that someone else did from you, all your deep, dark questions, the anger you might even feel towards him. He loves you right where you're at, and he wants to welcome you with open arms, including your tough questions and your anger. He's okay with it. He desires honesty. So our, our king, our, our father, he's not just a distant God who comes home kind of upset with you and says a couple words at you, turns on the game, has a few choice drinks, and then goes to bed at night. He's a guy that enters in right where he, I really believe, man, if he was walking around with us, he'd like go and throw, you know, play ball with you. He'd go shopping with you. He'd watch YouTube videos and laugh his head off with you. Like he just wants to, to be with you in your life. He wants to enter in whatever's going on in your life. His love for you is intense. He's the greatest dad in the world. In fact, it's all over scripture, his love for us. It says this in John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the New Testament. For God so, what? Loved. He so loved the world, you and I, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That you'll live eternally with him in heaven. That's his desire for you. And that's why he sent his son because he wanted to lavish his love on you. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To demonstrate his love, he didn't just die for us because we thought we would walk into this room and we would all be perfect. He died for you while you were still like, he knew you were gonna be in this room and totally want nothing to do with him, some of us. He died for you knowing that you did some really bad things recently and made some really poor choices. For each of us, no matter what the guilt or the shame that we have in our lives, he says, I died for you while you were still sinners. And we do good works back, right? It's not just that we get to receive God's grace and that's it. It's like we do good works back, but not because we have to, but because we want to. We want to love him back the way he has loved us right where we are. And some of you are thinking, but man, if you really knew what I had done, I can't tell you. I've been a pastor, I think, almost 19 years. I, I, all, so many people have told me, if you really knew what I had done, it would, you would be so disgusted, there's no chance that God would love me where I am. Look, he may not approve of your actions. 
Just like I don't approve of my son's actions sometimes. And God doesn't approve of my actions sometimes. But I know that he loves you right where he is. And there is nothing that can separate your heavenly father's love for you, from you. In fact, Romans 8 says this in verses 37 to 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, though him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You went on a bender last weekend and you made some really poor choices and you feel the guilt and shame of that. This passage says there is nothing that you could do that would separate you from the love of God. Now, when we know that, we have to respond to that, right? Like we have to take our guilt and shame and return it over to him and, and cause him to change our lives, to, to become more of what he desires for us to be. But there is nothing that can separate you from your heavenly father's love. Nothing. He will never disown you. He's going to pursue you, man. And I can remember at 19 years old, understanding that for the first time, and I was sitting making some really poor choices in my life, was very far from God, living in a fraternity house, making all kinds of terrible decisions. And man, that, that love that I helped, or felt from my heavenly father changed the course of my life. And then years later, I had been following for a while and I had grown in my faith and then I had made some more poor choices. Not as bad as I did back then, but they were some poor choices. You know what? I still make poor choices today. And nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God. What we can do is what the scriptures teach, which is repent, ask for forgiveness, lay that over to him. He wants to wrap his loving arms around us like a little child running to him. He's your daddy. And he's going to bear hug you, man, and uh, accept and forgive you for everything that you have ever done. Because your dad, he's not just any dad. Your dad is the king of kings. He's the king of this world. Your dad is the king. I know some of you thought LeBron James was the king. Right? And if LeBron James walked in here and he was your dad, everybody would be coming over like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Don't you see him? If Andrew Luck walked in and he had a child with him and he was like, that was my son, everybody would be like, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of Andrew Luck. Your dad is the king of kings and the lord of lords. You get to call him daddy. That the, in fact, the scriptures teach that even the kings of this earth respond to him. And yet most of us as American Christians, we get the good news of Jesus completely wrong. Most Americans do not understand the good news of Jesus at all. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know what it is. It's something about as our American culture. Most Americans work much longer hours than the rest of Western culture. We have the mentality, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, work it and make it happen, baby. Get up and grind it out. You got to risk it to get the biscuit, like I said earlier, right? And while that's a great work ethic that I believe the Bible teaches, when you apply that to your spiritual life with your heavenly father, you get some things really messed up. See, some of us think that I do all these good things. If I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I don't do these sins enough, then God will love me and he'll like me. And then I'll get to go to heaven. And what this says is nobody's good enough to stand in the presence of a perfect God. That we were all just essentially slaves to this world. And the only reason we get to be called as sons and daughters is because of the work of Jesus Christ. 
That when he gave his life on the cross and he went into the grave and he rose on the third day, there was a great victory that occurred. The battle has already been won. In fact, the word uh, that many of us in our culture don't have fond thoughts of, the word evangelism. Anybody ever heard of that word before? It comes from the Greek word that is in the New Testament, evangelion, which means good news. And when we think of the good news of Jesus, most of us think about, well, you get to go to heaven if you're a good person. But actually, the word evangelion, the way that was used was when the military and the Roman Empire had a, a, won a great victory on the front lines of a battle. That the battle had already been won. It was over. And so they were going to run back to Rome and share the evangelion, the good news of the victory they had had on the front lines. So when it describes the good news of Jesus Christ, it's that the battle was already won and the addictive habits that you're struggling with and the depression that you're feeling and the oppression in your life and the poor choices that you have made, all you have to do is turn to your heavenly father. That's all you have to do. You don't have to go do a bunch of stuff to please him and make up for your poor choices. However, when you respond and you repent and you turn to him, your heavenly father now says, hey, go out and share this with somebody else. I love you. Let me change your life. I want to grow you into the person that you were created to be. I want to see my son become the best kid he could possibly be and become the best adult he could possibly be. But I'm going to love him right where he's at. Your dad is the king and the battle is already won. All that it requires is that you turn to him that you turn to him and accept the good news that Jesus won the battle in your life. You see, your heavenly father is all powerful. He's no normal dad. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. As we close this service, I want to tell you over the last six years of our church, I've seen literally, I've seen people walk in the doors who were complete atheists or agnostics that are now leading ministries in our church because God so revolutionized and changed their life. I've seen people with extreme addictive habits be transformed over the course of years because they were truly discipled. I've seen people who were struggling with a lot of stuff in, in their, with their kids and their relationships and their dating life and their marriages, struggling with sexual issues, struggling with all kinds of stuff, and they turn to God. And he has transformed them. And it's, it's a daily battle. And sometimes we take two steps back and, or two steps forward and one step backward. But if you actually acknowledge that your dad loves you right where you're at, he's welcoming you with open arms. And he's not just some normal dad. He's the king of kings. It changes everything. Listen to these verses, 1 Timothy 6.15, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, that the, all of the presidents of the world and all of the kings around the planet all the prime ministers, they all respond to him that one day Jesus will return. The book of Revelation talks about riding on a white horse and he's going to set the world right and he's going to redeem it and we're going to live eternally with God at the center of it and it's going to be amazing. But it requires us to acknowledge that he is king and not us. We're no longer going to be enslaved to all the stuff in our life, let it rule and dictate our choices, man. I'm going to be, call myself a child of the king, and I'm only going to answer and respond to him. He is sovereign in my life. Revelation 17, 14, these will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, 16, man, my favorite part, and on his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name written. You know, Jesus had a tattoo, baby. 
And on that right thigh, man, it says he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So if you walked in here broken and distant from God, feeling like you got no purpose in your life, he tells you, let me reign in your life. I'm going to change some things, but you're going to have a better life than you ever thought. You're going to be here one day and you're going to be in the grave the next. It's the reality of this fallen nature of humankind. I came that you may be redeemed and live with me eternally. And my, my kingdom is not just here and now, it is forever and always. And I want you to be a part of it. And it takes you calling me king and you get to be my child and I welcome you with open arms. Just run to your daddy. He's waiting there to wrap his loving arms around you.